This past weekend, South Africans were shocked by the assassination of well-known insolvency practitioner Clitter Murray and his son Thomas. They were on their way back from work on a quiet Saturday afternoon when they were shot and killed. Uh, Clitter wasn't killed instantly, but he died the next morning at one of the busiest intersections in Johannesburg. Clitter Murray was acting as the liquidator of Bosasa, a company implicated in corrupt activities, also implicating the governing party. And this uh, featured prominently in allegations of state capture during the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. And the Murrays were also involved in liquidating a number of Gupta companies. He was also involved in liquidating other companies linked to state capture. At this stage, it's still unclear if the These appointments can be linked to the father and son's death, but there's no doubt that their death can be linked to their anti-corruption work. And people commenting on Clitemarie's death said he was widely known as somebody who worked without fear or favor when it came to finding assets hidden by the corrupt and who were uh, trying to hide this from either law enforcement or tax authorities. These deaths raise serious concerns about the safety of those who expose corruption, be they whistleblowers or people appointed to fight corruption. It's also not the first time in recent history that a hit makes headlines. Last year we saw the death of, or two years ago, we saw Babita Diokaran being murdered after she blew the whistle on extensive corruption in the Gauteng Health Department And we've also seen high-profile policemen dying. I'm speaking to Wayne Duvenage, and we're talking about this state of affairs and how murder is just another way in which the course of law can be delayed, distorted, or even prevented. Wayne, thanks for joining me. Nice to be with you, Ilza. Thanks, uh, Thanks for the introduction, yeah. We're not sure why the Murrays were assassinated, but a hit like this raises serious red flags. What's your thoughts on this? Well, any hit on anybody is a serious issue in this country. And, uh, you know, we've been living with political assassinations for a long time, uh, more so in the KZN and in Pumalanga area. Uh, And uh, it would appear now that it's moving into the whole whistleblower space um, and, and, and really is shocking that we have to sit here and, and, and start worrying about this type of thing because, especially for Arta, you know, a lot of our information of wrongdoing comes from whistleblowers and we are finding more and more today that uh, whistleblowers are reluctant to come forward. They just fear for their lives, their livelihood, and uh, these type of assassinations uh, don't do us and this country any favors. We need to speak about this because it's clear that somebody isn't doing what he or she is supposed to do when it comes to the protection of whistleblowers, anti-corruption fighters. Uh, where should we start looking? Well, you know, I, I go back and I was giving a talk today at, uh, at a government uh, arranged discussion on the uh, Constitution, reflecting on uh, advancing the power of the Constitution. We have a great Constitution, uh, but it is no good if it's just on paper and we cannot protect the constitutional rights of individuals and human beings in this country. Um, and this topic we were, I was on a panel, is fighting corruption as a constitutional imperative. And 
if you just take our democracy and split it into two halves almost, the first uh, 14 years or so and the second 14 years, the first being during Madiba and uh, Mbeki's uh, period of, of administration, and then you get into the Zuma and the Ramaphosa administration. Well, we, you know, when, when, when Zuma came into power in 2007, as he headed up the ANC from the Polokwane Conference, it became very clear that he wanted to remove uh, the independence of the uh, Scorpions, who are highly effective. I think you've just got to cast your mind back to, you know, the 150 or so members of parliament who abused their privileges in the Travelgate scam, Tony Yengeni, John Block, Jackie Salibi, Shabir Sheikh. It was a lot of good work that the, the Scorpions at the time were doing to tackle those in power who were abusing their power and corruption. And, and that's what you needed. You needed this independent, high, you know, strong muscle, powerful uh, entity to go there and, and make, make it very well known to people who wanted to act corruptly that they would come after you. And when they come after you, they've got the resources and the might and the independence to do so. So when Jacob Zuma came in, that conference uh, ruled uh, or, or decided to remove the Scorpions. And uh, 18 months later, in May 2009, uh, that was passed through Parliament and replaced by the Hawks. And there, the independence is not there. It now reports into the police, the Minister of Police, and the, the, the new ID, the investigating directorate, reports into the NPA, who reports into the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services. Now, where is the independence? And what we're asking for and what um, Paul Hoffman and the Accountability Now guys and others have been driving this quite hard is, is the outcome of that Lannister 2 case where the majority judgment does talk about introducing the structures that take up this uh, constitutional requirement of ours, uh, and the constitution is very clear that we need to have uh, independent, uh, well-resourced uh, corruption-fighting entity that deals with organized crime. And that's not the case today. So I think if we start there, Ilza, if we if we go back to saying, well, what do we have to do? And you know, it's quite strange that even the uh, NEC of the ANC in, in August 2020 called for the urgent creation of this new entity that is permanent and specialized and independent, stands alone to deal with corruption. Uh, and yet the cabinet has not you know, reacted appropriately. Um, so you know, that's quite a strange thing that we, we have this decision and nothing happens. And then in February 2021, in the Sona speech, the uh, president talks about this appointment of the Anti-National Corruption Advisory Council. Now, that's there, but it's two years later. Nothing has come. And then in February this year, cabinet is now speaking of upgrading the ID, this investigating directorate, within the NPA as the solution to serious corruption. And all the past mention of a body that reports to parliament is now gone. So I don't know... I don't think we're taking the fight against corruption seriously, and it's getting worse, not better. But do you think it's a matter of political will that's lacking, or is there just no vision and no leadership? I think it's, it starts with political will. I, I do believe that if you had that independence, without fear and favor independence, uh, entity that was going to tackle corruption in the public sector, well, I, I think that would... Uh, that, that, that's something that the ruling party and many of their people in positions of power would worry about. Uh, even the president himself on his parlor parlor matter might have been the subject of a, 
of a high level scrutiny. And I just think that too many people in many high places that are implicated in corruption that isn't going to do the ruling party any favors, especially when it comes to the next election. So I think it boils down to political will, because I can tell you now, if there was political will, the type that we had when we had Madiba uh, and going into our new democracy, to protect this democracy and this constitution of ours from the abuse that we've uh, had to undergo as citizens, uh, we would have had uh, an institution like this in place long ago. And here, the president, this current president, Ramaphosa, who got into power on the ticket of an anti-corruption stance, uh, four years into his administration, and it's all been lip service and the goalposts keep changing and the ideas and the thoughts keep changing and they drag their feet. So it can only be political will. Uh, that, that's all I can put it down to. The competence is there. The blueprint is there. We've had a successful Scorpions. We've had the structures. It's not like we have to go and test the waters and say, well, will it work or won't it? We know it works. We've got the blueprint. So let's just get on with it. But there doesn't seem to be a, an appetite to do so. And we are actually at the point where any um, improvement will be a significant improvement because yeah. people are dying by just doing their job. What would your wish list consist of if you are put in charge of an anti-corruption task team? At ATA, well, we deal with corruption a lot, and by now yeah. I'm sure we know what we would like. Yeah, well, the first thing is uh, I would ensure that we make uh, it safe and give the resources um, to whistleblowers to come forward because whistleblowers are an extremely important part of fighting corruption. And if you empower them and if you make them feel safe and not ostracized as B Babita uh, was and then eventually uh, murdered, but as we've seen with the Cynthia Stimples of the world, with uh, Martha and Goyo and Tira and others, that are just bullied and pushed aside and, and their lives are made a living hell and many others, there are thousands out there. Uh, that's a sad situation and the more people see and read about this, the more they say, look, I'm not coming forward, it's just not worth the risk. So you've got to remove the risk from for whistleblowers, uh, give them the support they need, uh, protect them from this abuse of power and even if they do lose their jobs, help them fight to regain those jobs if they are not in the wrong, obviously there's a there's an, a there's a there's a verification process that has to be undergone. What about uh, monetary compensation? If they lose their jobs, we know often yes. companies and state of, uh, departments won't touch them. But if they save the country, for instance, ten billion rand, could we mm. say that a percentage of that should be should go to them to just <coughs> keep on living a normal life and not have to beg for an income? Yeah. Look, I, I do believe that we've got to cross this hurdle and have this discussion on monetary compensation. You've got to be careful that you don't. And there's types of monetary contributions, uh, such as the bounty hunters in the States who get a percentage. Uh, and and there's, the jury's out on what's right. But all we do know, all we do know is this, is that we've got enough people that do good within the public sector who want to come forward. And if they were protected, if they were just not uh, removed from their jobs and given the opportunity to state their case and supported in a labor court if they wanted to defend themselves. So that's where it starts. So like Martha is, you know, she's suspended, she's getting her salary, but she's spending it all on court cases. So you need to assist them with that. If they're wrong, obviously, and they've been vexatious and malicious in their whistleblowing and it's not a factual case, well, that's a different story. But let's park that to one side. It is about 
first and foremost, let us give them all the support and the physical and security support at times when they are threatened, as they have do get threatened from time to time. So that's where I would start, Ilza. The next thing is, I would pump billions of rands into this independent entity and get the best people in. I'll tell you why. I reckon if this government spent 10 billion rand a year on this entity, they would save the country 100 billion rand in corruption, without a doubt. Uh, and now here we are pussyfooting with, oh, but where are we going to get the money and that? And it just frustrates us as out to see, well, how is it possible that you are giving the political parties an extra 300 million rand in the last financial year and another 300 million rand in the next year on top of the 160 million you give them every year where did that money come from and mm. why are you cutting the IEC's budgets and really if money is the issue tell us tell us the civil society we'll go and find and fetch the money to put this entity in place so long as we made sure and had some say in its independence yeah it's i would start there protect the whistleblowers encourage them to come forward get the best team in place and not difficult there's a lot of skills out there even if you have to bring some of them in and uh, i reckon within a very short space of time we could make a massive difference as a country but there it is it's there the plans there the ideas are there they've been shared with government for years now and it comes back to well there doesn't seem to be a political will can we briefly talk about the NPA? We uh, know that they've been hollowed out. The institution is not what it was 10, 15 years ago. Do you see that they are busy rebuilding skills, hiring in, for instance, forensic auditors? We know there's a critical shortage of that within the law enforcement authorities. Are you confident that enough is being done to go after the corrupt? Well, I'm confident in the fact that we've got a far better team there today than we did have under Sean Abrams. So thank goodness there was this shift. I think we've got good people, a lot of good people with good intent. But the NPA is still hampered by uh, the structures that were put in there under the Jacob Zoom era. It's not easy to clean out. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes years. So we are being asked for their patience, but we're running thin on patience, and, and rightly so, and they know that um, as civil society. We're not seeing. The evidence is there. There's sufficient evidence uh, out there with the Gupta leaks, with so much other, not just the Gupta leaks. Um, and yet high, uh, people in high places who've earned billions uh, in corruption continue to walk the streets. The criminal justice system is slow. It is uh, overworked. So the short answer is I'm a lot more happier with the fact that, that we move in the right direction. But as the classic saying goes, you know, justice delayed is justice denied. And there are so many people and us as citizens need to see justice and it's not happening fast enough. And there's far too much weakness in the Hawks, weakness in our policing services. So the NPA is being beefed up. Uh, it has support, it has our support, it has uh, private sector support, although you've got to be very careful not to cross the line of independence when you bring in the support of external entities like civil society and business. Uh, and they're very aware of that. So, yeah, they, they could do with a lot more. But, but I think instead of pumping it in there, because they've got a lot of work to do, uh, we should pump that money into building this independent Scorpion-style uh, entity. Uh, and if we had that, with the ferociousness and the, and the zest and the power that it had, 
in the past, wow, I think we would we'd be smiling as a society. It would be a lot of people, a lot more people in jail. Wayne, I would like to just briefly discuss the South African police force and the Minister of Police. The whole idea of policing seems something that South Africans do not have any trust in. Yet on Monday, with the national shutdown, we saw wonderful display of the power of police. Uh, one person on Twitter commented that we should never be told again that the police do not have enough vehicles because we saw vehicles and drones and helicopters and everything deployed on Monday to quell a possible national shutdown and the possible violence that could go along with that. What do we need to clean out the police force? Where do we start? Well, so first, I think we need to acknowledge there's a lot of good policemen doing hard work and good work. I mean, there's a lot, uh, and there are a number, we're not sure what the percentage is, but it only takes a small percentage of rotten police who work with the, uh, the criminal uh, syndicates to undermine the good work of the good guys. And uh, I, I, I just believe when you look at our minister and when you look at how he goes about it, I couldn't be inspired working for the police force with a leader of that nature. I don't get a sense that uh, we have a minister or we have a, a police force with the structures that are absolutely professional, highly trained, all the skills required, uh, and the and the training and getting this police force motivated to the extent that you and I, and yes, where the poorest suffer the most, are able to call the police and say, "I'm having a, you know a break in or a domestic violence or whatever," and the police will be there, and that's what you pay your taxes for. And it's almost like we've come to expect that. Well, that's never going to happen. Why do you expect it? Well, that is what you expect in a country that has the power, that has your money, collects your money to provide you with your constitutional rights for security and safety. Uh, so we should never accept mediocrity and to say, well, that's the way it is. We should demand world-class service, by the way. You know, we mustn't just take this out. We're a developing nation. We're a nation that is well ahead of so many aspects in, 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 in our lives and our constitution and our human rights that we should demand these uh, levels. So. I'm not inspired. Society is not inspired. The public generally aren't. I think if you ask them in a poll, how would you rate the services of the South African police? Uh, I would be surprised if they got more than a three out of 10, a 30% rating. That's a fail. That's an absolute fail. And yes, they can uh, get themselves organized when it comes down to a preempted situation. So, of course, we can now see, well, you've got the ability to do so. But Let's ask ourselves this, if there was another situation of a 2021 uh, rioting around the country in three or four or five different cities, uh, I'm not sure if they'd be able to quell that. They'd probably be just as ineffective as they were back then. But how do we fix it? Or do we simply have to you, you vote, fix these people, yeah, vote these people out of power? You fix it through leadership. Um, you, you cannot have... People who just in the leadership roles who do not display the passion and the vision of professional policing. Just as the same, uh, you can't have people heading up the transport department if they really have no understanding and inclination of, of what a broken rail system does for the economy, of driver's license issues, the debacles that we've had to sit with, the potholed roads, 
of money wasted that is allocated to the MECs of transport in the various provinces. Oh, the list goes on. You need people who understand the industries that they operate in, have the best advisors, and then show through strong leadership that while I'm in this position on my watch, this type of conduct and stuff will never happen. And if it does, I will hunt the people down that bring our name into disrepute and provide shoddy service to our citizens. If that's the attitude from the top, it permeates. You look at it in any well-run company, in any organization. It's where leadership goes, people will follow. And the next level down and the next level down. That is not happening in the South African police services or the Hawks for that matter. Or in government. Yeah, in government in general. I mean, look at education. We're the laughing stock of the of the continent. We spend the most per individual, per capita, and we get the worst result out of our spend on education. And books don't get delivered. Uh, and kids are falling into pit latrines in schools and dying and having to cross rivers and, and drowning. I mean, it's just, it's just so shocking. Look at our health system where people sit in corridors and hospitals for days on end uh, waiting for uh, to be attended to. All the main sectors, our water challenges are now coming to the fore. And let's not even talk about local government. So if you just look across the board, our constitutional rights uh, have been decimated through bad leadership from a government management, a country management point of view. And that has to sit in the lap of the president, I'm afraid. And, you know, we were all very excited seeing the back of Zuma in 2017. Uh, and in 2018, with Ramaphosa coming in on the back of uh, an anti-corruption stance. And what happened? I mean, literally, we sit here today, we gave him a lot of slack. We said, give this guy a chance, give him a year, get the NPA right, get the police right. It's going to take a while. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not like a flick of a switch. Well, it's four years later, and I'm afraid to say he's let us down badly, and uh, and it's not acceptable. So we have an election coming up in 2024. Now, the biggest question, Ilza, we're all asking ourselves is what's going to happen? And I can tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be apathy because people are now fed up with the ANC. The voter turnout will be below 40% because a large portion of the ANC's voters have, uh, have just said, I'm not going to vote for them. And they would go and vote if there was an alternative. And they can see through the EFF and the, and the, and the populist uh, rhetoric. So the EFF is not picking that up necessarily. And the sad thing is that the opposition parties are really losing the plot when it comes to forming robust coalitions. Uh, and, and I don't want to blame one party or the other, but they certainly are do not have the citizens at the center of all their decision-making. So we have this musical mayors in these various metros. Uh, every six months is a new mayor. You can have no continuity. You cannot fix cities like this and towns. Uh, there's something very, very wrong with opposition politics in this country. And if we're not going to look at these elements and take this seriously, then it leaves us a lot more disillusioned as citizens and it leaves the work to fix our towns and cities and challenge government over to organizations like ARTA and civil society and we're stretched uh, and it's hectic. I, we've got an opportunity in 2024 and I'm quite disillusioned with our opposition politics and the politicking and the egos and the nonsense that is carrying on right now. So what is your message to people listening here? What should we as ordinary people do? Because it's clear politicians won't do it for us. 
Well, they should. You know, we have a constitution. It's a, it's, and it's a great constitution. And you get the government you, you, you vote into power. Uh, and we have a government that is not fit for duty and purpose right now. And I think the public know that. And I think all the pol polls now, if you had an election tomorrow, the polls are pointing to below 40% for the ANC right now. And if you even took an ANC and EFF coalition, they'd probably be under 50%. So we have got a massive opportunity. I think we've got to start putting pressure on our politicians to tell them to wind their necks in, stop their political games, form a robust coalition that's going to take this country forward without their self-interests at heart and, and saying, well, what's in it for us and which, which position can we get? And if you don't give us this position where we can loot and make money, then we're not going to vote with you. I mean, that's just crazy stuff. And I think citizens need to tell the politicians right now, get off the bus, put your egos in your pocket, stop this hubristic uh, attitude of yours and work for us, the people, uh, and get out there and don't ever not vote. Rather vote for the least bad. Vote, vote against what is wrong, which you see what is wrong. And uh, it's not an easy decision. And we as outer, we try and steer away from politics, but we're sucked into this space because politics is where all our work is. It's challenging these corrupt politicians and these inept politicians who make bad decisions. So the message really is to citizens, you know, it's about doing it yourself. It's about holding local government to account and national government to account. It's about supporting organizations like ATA and others that do this work on your behalf, because uh, we can't do it without uh, the support and funds of, of, of the public out there. And, uh, and, and go out there and make a difference and, and, and meet your counselors. And, and, and if you're in a ward where you see these shenanigans going on, have a heart-to-heart -heart discussion with them and say, not on our watch. Because we will not vote for you if you carry on the way you are in our local government uh, coalitions. And of course, we've developed stuff at our social innovation um, applications like Link and the Community Action yeah. Network can. And also Watergan that's doing great work to help hold government accountable and put more power back into the hands of citizens. Yeah. Wayne Duvenage, thank you so much for your time. If you like Outer's work, please support the work and read more about Outer on outer.co.za. Wayne, have a nice day. Thanks. Thank you, Ilza. All the best. Cheers.